Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. Well, uh, good morning. Welcome to First Baptist Church. We're glad that you're here with us today, and I'll admit that's probably uh, the most dramatic video introduction we've done so far. Um, but uh, the good, there's a good reason for that, because this is a very dramatic and important uh, subject that we're going to tackle at, uh, beginning this week. And if you have your Bible with you, um, or you have a Bible app on your mobile phone, we're going to be in the book of Matthew chapter 6 today. And I want to welcome you this morning as we kick off this brand new series titled Know Your Enemy, which is subtitled The Doctrine of Satan. And the reason why we've chosen this particular um, title is really, really simple. Uh, the Apostle Peter um, tells us Uh, In his words, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, or literally your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And uh, my friends, I just, it's my obligation to tell, tell you that you have an enemy. You have an adversary, and this enemy, this adversary, prowls around. He is, he is on the hunt like a wild predator looking for someone to be his prey. He's looking for someone to devour. He is looking for someone to destroy. You see, you uh, and you and you and all of you um, have a very real enemy, and this enemy is on the hunt for you. And he's not just on the hunt for you, but he's also hunting your family. He's hunting your children. He is hunting your grandchildren. He is hunting your friends. He is hunting your neighbors. He is hunting your coworkers. And he is bent on your destruction and the destruction of other people. Your enemy is looking to destroy you. Make no mistake about that. He is looking to destroy you. The Bible says that uh, that he has come to steal and to kill and to destroy. This enemy is bent on your destruction. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your relationships. He wants to destroy your job. He wants to destroy your career. He wants to destroy your reputation. He also wants to destroy your finances. He wants to destroy all those things that you love. And most importantly, he wants to destroy your eternity. He is bent on your destruction and the destruction of everyone that you have ever known and cared about. And and here's the thing, okay? You have to understand that he will stop at nothing. He will do everything in his power to take you down. Okay, He will use greed and anger and envy and bitterness to knock you, to knock you down. He will use pride and lust and drunkenness and addiction to enslave you. He will use selfishness and ambition and even good things like personal drive uh, to get in the way of your focus on God as you focus on yourself. He will use your pain. He will use your heartache. He will use discouragement. He will use all your doubts in order to cause you to doubt the existence of God. Your enemy, my enemy, will stop at nothing in pursuit of our destruction. And this enemy has a name. In fact, he has lots of names. In, in this particular text, he's called a thief. In the previous text, we saw he's called a devil. Some texts call him the accuser. Some call him the serpent. Some call him the old dragon. But his name is Satan. And Satan literally means adversary okay, or enemy. Now, understand He's got lots of names, and he's been called lots of things, and we're going to talk about that in this particular series. But suffice to say, as we get started, you have a powerful, personal enemy who is coming after you, and he is seeking to destroy you and all that you love. Because here's the truth. Whether you realize it or not, you were born into a battle. You were born into a cosmic spiritual war. You were born into a war that's been raging since basically the beginning of time. 
Uh, and the Apostle Paul tells us in, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities and the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He also says in, in 2 Corinthians 10, 3, for, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh, because we... All of us were born into a battle. Whether you know it or not, whether you like it or not, whether you want it to be that way or not, when you first took your first breath, you emerged into a world that is embroiled in a universal conflict. And this will continue. And you will be in the midst of this battle until you die or until Christ comes back to finally put an end to this war. And here's the thing. This battle continually rages. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. There are no sick days. There are no holidays. There are no days off. There's no ceasefires. There's no armistice. There's no peace accords. There's no respites. There are no reprieves. The battle for your destruction continually rages on day and night. And the reason for that is very simple. You have a relentless enemy who is after you. And he will not rest until he's destroyed you. Because that's the bottom line. Even if you're a Christian, in fact, especially if you're a Christian, the enemy looks to knock you down as a Christian. The enemy loves to set up Christians for failure. The enemy loves to draw ministers into scandals. The enemy loves to create a culture of hate inside the church so the church becomes effective. I mean, ineffective like the Westboro Baptist Church. The enemy loves to to lift up and puff up bigoted uh, 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 ministers like Steve Anderson from, from Arizona. Right? The enemy loves to tear down Christians and impugn the church and diminish our witness. He loves to create conflict among believers. Okay? And he knows how and he knows when to attack us. And I'm not just talking about theology here. I'm talking about personal experience. As a pastor, I have lots of personal experience with the enemy waging war in my life. You see, one of the things that, 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 that can weaken me, one of the things that can cause me to feel discouraged, one of the things that can take me off my game is when uh, Kim and I, uh, you know, when there's tension between us. Because, because Kim, my wife, is my best friend, okay? She's, she's my closest friend. You know, I rely on her. I'm strengthened and encouraged by her. I love her, and I draw strength from our relationship. She is definitely my better half. Okay, and and when things are not when things are right at home, it doesn't matter what's happening in the rest of the world. You know, I can handle it. Right, it's fine as long as things are good at home. It doesn't matter what's happening in the rest of the world. But when things are not right and there's this friction or this tension between Kim and I, I want to resolve it and I want to resolve it quickly because when things are not right, I struggle. I find it hard to concentrate. It doesn't matter how good things are in the rest of the world. I struggle emotionally. I mean, I mean, the truth is. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, right? Okay? Right? And, 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 and if daddy ain't happy, ain't nobody cares, okay? All right? And that's a, that's a sermon for a different day. But, uh, but the, the truth is, when there's friction between Kim and I, it's really tough on me. And the enemy knows that. He knows that, that that's something that messes with me. And so he uses that to his advantage. Because let me just tell you, in the last four years, do you know when Kim and I have the greatest amount of conflict in tension? You know, when we have our biggest fights, it's usually right around the weeks leading up to VBS. Usually within the first two weeks before VBS begins, okay? In fact, you know, uh, one summer, like it was like the night before VBS, we had like one of the biggest disagreements we've ever had, okay? And do you know why that happens? I mean, do you know why he picks on us that time of year? 
It's because VBS, you know, is a church-wide effort. This is where we all come together to storm the gates of hell in an effort to, pre- to preach the gospel to 70 to 100 kids in our community. We're trying to reach the kids in our community for Christ and bring salvation to them. And so the enemy comes after the leaders of this event, my wife particularly, and then me, right, as a preemptive strike. And he does this right? At a time when we're busy and when we're stressed a little bit and overworked and probably a little bit emotional and a bit distracted. And then he baits us into a fight, right? And I remember that one, one year we figured it out. We were like in this heated conversation and I was like, it was like the night before VBS. And, and I was like, what are we fighting about? And she's like, I don't know, right? And then I realized, I know what this is. Okay, I know it's the enemy getting inside of our heads. And as soon as we made that connection, and as soon as we realized that's what's happened, it was, it was over. The tension was gone. We realized that we, we played the fool in the enemy's game. Okay, and this is something that pops up every year, which means over the next couple of weeks, I need to be really focused and mindful that that's what the enemy's going to be up to. I need to recognize that when I feel this tension or conflict with my wife, what is actually happening. I need to keep my eyes open so I don't get baited into a fight. And that might seem like really easy, but I'm not that smart, okay? All right? I mean, men, we like to pretend we're like really these logical animals, but we're just as emotional as women. We just pretend we're not, okay? okay? In fact, this week, Kim made a comment about something that didn't sit really well with me, and that got pretty irritating really quick. And I told her I was irritated about it, and I was ready to have this heated discussion about it. And my wife, being smarter than me, she's like, she completely diffuses the situation. She says, you know what? You're right. I'm sorry. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> she diffuses the situation. And then the worst part for me, it wasn't even until like the next day I realized, wait a minute. It's like VBS time. I almost got suckered into a fight again with my wife. You know, why did I see this coming? Well, it's because it's a spiritual battle that rages all the time, right? And I'm just not always prepared for it. So, so you know, you know, it's always something coming against me. And, 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 and so sometimes you just, it, it, you just have to like stand up, right? And this time of year, right, I'm going to ask you that if you would just pray for VBS, that you'd pray for me and Kim specifically, all right? That if you pray for VBS to be successful, pray that we're, we have the wisdom and the insight to see what the enemy tries to do against us. And so we'd, we'd appreciate that. But, but the enemy knows how and when to come against us. And he knows when we're weak and he knows how to exploit those weaknesses, right? And he knows the same thing about you. He knows how to tempt you. He knows how to make you feel discouraged. He knows how to bait you into a fight. He knows how to encourage you to drink a little too much. He knows how to encourage you to to, to take a second look at someone you shouldn't be taking a first look at in the first place, right? He he knows how to make you feel guilty. He knows how to make you to to step back into a self-destructive spiral. He knows how to push your buttons and he is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour he's continually stalking you and he's looking for an opening to pounce on you to take you out but here's the thing if you are a believer if you are a follower of jesus christ you are not a helpless victim Okay. You are not a helpless victim. You can fight him off. You can thwart his attacks and you can win the battle against him because the war has already been won. All right. The enemy has already been defeated. The, 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 the outcome of the war has already been decided. All right. And so you can win the battle against him in your life and you can simply not just be a casualty of war. You can be prepared to fight him and you can be prepared to defend yourself and to stand your ground. And, and being prepared to fight begins with knowing 
who and what your enemy is and exactly what he is up to. And that's what this series is all about. You see, in this series, we're going to tackle big questions like who and what is Satan? Okay, And where does he come from? And what does he want? And how powerful is he? And how can I fight him and win? And perhaps the biggest and hardest question that we're going to explore in this series is why does God even allow him to exist in the first place? Over the next four weeks, we're going we're gonna to seek to answer these big questions and help you to get to know your enemy because we have one simple goal. I want to help you to know your enemy so you can stand against him. James, the brother of Jesus, says, Submit yourselves, therefore, uh, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We want to help you to make the devil flee from you. We want to help you to have victory over your enemy. Now, before we get too far along, let me just set your expectations the right way. Okay, Our goal is to help you to be equipped to stand against the enemy Okay, and we're going to tackle some big questions, and we're going to cover a lot of ground. Uh, but keep in mind, this is a four-week sermon series, okay? and we, we've got a lot to talk about in four weeks. But, um, but as I said, even though we're covering a, full, you know, a lot of ground here, you need to realize that we're probably not going to answer every single possible question. All right? We're not going to address every possible nuance and, and every single philosophical idea uh, that comes up on this subject. Because the truth is we could actually stu- stu- um, study this subject for six months and not deal with all the complexities and possible questions. Because this is a big and far-reaching subject. This topic um, strays into not just the doctrine of Satan, but it strays into the doctrine of angels and the doctrine of demons. And it strays into the doctrine of God's uh, love and, and God's sovereignty. It strays into the doctrine of evil. And, and, and each one of those subjects by themselves is something we can spend lots and lots of time talking about. They're big subjects in their own right. But this subject right here has many components to it. And there's a lot of theological questions and there are a lot of philosophical questions and problems to address. So please understand from the outside, we're not going to address every single possible question. We're going to address the big questions and help you to be able to study this on your own. But most importantly, we're going to talk to you about how you can prepare yourself not to be a victim, but to take your stand and protect yourself and take the fight to the enemy. So today, as we kick this series off, I think the best place for us to start is actually to take uh, some time and clear the ground of some of the myths and the false ideas that surround this subject of, 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 of the devil, because there are a lot of common misconceptions about the devil. There's, there's a lot of, of, of junk out there. In fact, for every little bit that's reliable that you can know about Satan, there's a whole lot of falsehood and inaccurate information and just plain garbage on this particular subject. And, and, and just, uh, and just, uh, there's just so much in the world around us. There's just so much garbage that's inaccurate and untrue. And, but, but, but worse is all that influences the way we think about the devil. Okay? In fact, most of us, when we imagine Satan, okay, what we imagine about him is not actually inspired by the Bible. It's inspired by culture. It's inspired by literature. It's inspired by art and the media. And, and more recently, it's inspired by the movies and, and, and what we see on television. In fact, when people think about the devil or Satan, these are the images that we get right here, right? We instinctively think about this ugly red character with horns and sharp teeth and wings and a tail and a pitchfork, right? And many of us imagine him being the character that's the, that's the warden of, of hell, right? That's the picture that's, that we get from popular culture. We see this in movies. We see this in cartoons. We even see this in, in the little emojis on your phone, you know what I mean? Like when you see the smiley faces, when you want to see like the devil, it's like right there, right? 
all right? Because, because this is popular culture, okay? Anytime you see a red character with, with horns and a tail and a pitchfork, whether it's male or female, you immediately associate that with, with Satan or the devil because this is how culture has pro- programmed us to think about who the devil is. But this is the image that this isn't the image the Bible actually paints for us. Okay? This is actually the image that we get from, from the Renaissance and from, from art and from literature. More specifically, we get the image of Satan that we have from the art that's inspired by Dante's Divine Comedy okay? or Dante's Inferno. Okay? Here, what we have here is art that's created in order to illustrate Dante's vision of hell. All right? This is he's probably the most influential person. All right? This is not a biblical source, but he's the most influential person in how people think about you know, the devil and, and hell, right? It's not even like a biblical source, but we can't almost untangle our minds from this. And notice these gruesome characters. They all have horns, right? A couple of them have wings, right? And they're all beast-like, right? This is, this is where we get our common image of the devil. This, this here, art and literature and the imagination of artists and authors, not the Bible, is what has painted the picture that we imagine Satan to be like. And so a lot of our understanding, a lot of what we think about Satan, what he may look like and what he does and how, he, how powerful he may be and how he operates, comes not from, from the word of God, but actually from popular culture and through, again, art and from, from history. In fact, Popular culture is actually shifting its view of Satan and something more like this, all right? A dark and mysterious, handsome man, right? Perhaps he's a businessman or maybe he's a lawyer, which seems to fit really well, okay? Um, and, 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 but he's not quite so threatening, maybe. He's a little bit of a gruesome, but he's not, not a gruesome beast, you know? But he's still kind of dangerous and mysterious and, and he's smart and he's sophisticated and he's wise and, and, and he's influential. And perhaps he's, that, that's probably a bit closer to the truth, but it's still a depiction that's from popular culture that can actually mislead us in our understanding of the enemy. The truth is the devil or Satan is not a man at all. Okay. And he's not some disfigured ghoulish animal hybrid. Okay. All right. Satan is in fact an angel. He is a fallen angel to be sure. Okay. And we're going to talk about that in this series, but he's an angel nonetheless. And as an angel, which means he is an immaterial immaterial spiritual being means that he does not have a physical body. Even though we try to visualize angels, these these really beautiful people and great wings and long flowing robes, all right? Again, that's our culture influencing, influencing us, all right? Okay, but as an angel, he is an immaterial spiritual being, which means he does not have a physical body. He is not red. He does not have horns. He does not have, you know, a pitchfork and a, and a tail, okay? Right? He does not have long robes. He is not a man. He's not a woman, and he's not a red monster. Right? That's not what the angel is. Our enemy is a spiritual being who exists in the spiritual realm. He is a fallen angel without a physical body, which means he isn't any of the caricatures we, we imagine him to be. He's not a physical, distorted, grotesque monster, warden of hell, nor is he this suave, sophisticated you know, lawyer. Um, he is an angel. Right? And which means he is very powerful, which means he is very wise, he's extremely intelligent, he is very beautiful. In fact, he's, he was considered to be the most beautiful of all the angels. 
Okay? But for all of his strength and all of his beauty, he, like all the other angels, because he's not human, there is something that, that he does not possess. There's something that he does not have. He does not possess the image of God because he was not made in the image of God. Only mankind in all of creation was made in the image of God, which means we have something he doesn't, and it makes him very jealous. Now, in the coming weeks, we're going to talk a lot more about this and the origin of Satan, and we're going to talk about his nature. We're going to talk about his personality and his attributes. We're going to talk about you know, how he went from being this exalted, honored, beautiful angel in heaven to falling from grace, right? We're going to talk about his army of fallen angels you know, and, and the spiritual war, warfare that he's engaged in and what we can do about it. And we're going to cover a lot of ground in the next few weeks. But today, I want to, I want to take some time and focus on perhaps two of, the, two of the greatest myths that have ever existed about Satan. And both of these myths have persisted for centuries. Okay, there are myths that have, that have had devastating consequences on, on people in the church, and they have, have led many people astray from the truth. And the reality is that both of these, both of these myths are actually extreme opposites of, of one another. Okay? They're on the extreme polar opposite ends from one another. And just like most extremes, the truth gets lost in the extreme. And so we're going to talk about these two extreme views of the enemy today. And the first myth I want to talk about this morning is the myth and is growing in popularity in Western culture. And it has been for um, the last 200, 250 years. And it's a, a myth not simply promoted by the secular world. It's actually a myth that's gaining wider and wider acceptance in the church at large. In fact, there are some people in the church, there's some segments of Christianity that look down on people who don't actually believe this myth. They think that they're more enlightened. They think that they're more intelligent because they believe that this myth to be a reality. And the myth that we're talking about is simply this idea that Satan doesn't exist. That's that he is simply not a real thing. Okay. That he is simply a figment of our imagination that Satan was a literary creation that was developed to explain evil and pain, you know, and suffering to an ignorant and superstitious world. That right there is the fastest growing myth about Satan today. And there are a number of people who profess to be Christians who believe that this is a myth, that Satan is simply a personification of an idea. Right? That, that the idea that he's like the idea of sin or destruction and evil, that the devil is like the personification of an idea, the same way the Statue of Liberty is a personification of the idea of liberty, or the same way that Lady Justice is an artistic interpretation of what justice is, that the devil is just simply a symbol of an idea of evil and sin, but it's not actually a real, personal, intelligent, active being, that he's He's a literary figure to help explain to superstitious and ignorant people, you know, how things work. But let me, let me be very clear. This right here, this is a myth. This is a myth from the pit of hell. In fact, it's been said the greatest trick the, the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he doesn't exist. That is, you know, because how do you fight an enemy who isn't real, Right? But let me just tell you, Satan, your enemy is very real. Let me just share with you the reasons why I know for a fact that he's real. Number one, the Bible makes it clear that he is real and explicitly talks about Satan. And not just simply in metaphorical terms, but in, in, in clear, literal terms. In fact, First um, Chronicles 21, uh, verse 1, we read, Then Satan stood against Israel, 
Then Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. Okay? Satan led David to take a census of his country. Now, the Bible could have said David was just curious about how many people he had to go fight for him, so he went ahead and had a census. He could have, he could have said that, but it doesn't say that. It's not even how it was recorded. It says Satan, an adversary, incited. It led, it provoked David to do something that he wouldn't normally do. In fact, he was incited to do something that God had told him not to do. This isn't a metaphor. This isn't a symbol here. Zechariah 3, verses 1 through 2, we read, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord has chosen Jerusalem. Rebuke you. Now, this right here, (laughs) I don't care what you have to say, all right? This is a very clear picture because we know from other theological conversations that we've had, the angel of the Lord is Jesus Christ. He's a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ because we've talked about before, the, the Trinity is visible in the Old Testament. And this is a picture of Jesus. And in this text, you have Jesus and you have Satan and Satan's accusing Joshua, the high priest, and Jesus rebukes him saying, the Lord rebuke you. There's no reason For this to be in the Bible, if it's a metaphor, this is not a metaphor. This is not an allegory. This is a vision of a spiritual reality. Satan is real. Satan is a spiritual being. Our enemy is the accuser before God, and he is real. The Bible talks about him in real terms. Now, you might be saying, well, well, who cares? (laughs) Who cares what the Bible has to say? I mean, that was just a book written by men, you know, and retranslated and mistranslated. I mean, I mean, how do we know the Bible's reliable? How can I trust the Bible? Well, that's a great question, and it's a question, actually, we've answered many, many times in great, teal, uh, in, in, in great detail. In fact, um, uh, if you'd like to find out why the Bible is actually reliable and why you can trust the Bible, I've put together a playlist on SoundCloud of four sermons where you can listen to the answer to this question in great detail, and so that you can find out that the Bible is, in fact, accurate, authoritative, and reliable. And if you'd like to listen to that playlist, then simply write down this web address. Or if you said, that's just too much for me to write down, then just get one of them information request cards out. Put your email address on there or your mobile phone number, and I'll text you or email you the link. And all you have to do is click it. You know, Or even to save you even more trouble, what I'll do is I'll actually post the link on our church Facebook page and just click it there. And you can listen to all those sermons to find out the fact that the Bible is, in fact, reliable. So suffice it to say, we have good reason to trust the Bible, what it says, and the Bible says a lot about Satan. The Bible makes it clear that he's very real. Now, the second reason why I know for a fact that Satan is real is that all of the apostles, all of the apostles believed that he was real. Okay, And all the New Testament writers mentioned him. In fact, of the 27 books in the New Testament, uh, Satan is mentioned in 19 of those books. And the words Satan and devil are mentioned 95 times in the New Testament alone. The writers of the New Testament certainly believed in him, and they talked about him as being a real spiritual being, not just some metaphor. But the most compelling evidence for the existence of Satan is the fact that Jesus believed he was real. Okay? Jesus not only, you know, mentions 
Satan 25 times in the New Testament. He talks about Satan. He pronounces judgment on Satan. And he actually talks directly to Satan. In fact, three of the four gospel accounts record a very specific conversation that Jesus had with the devil. And let me just, let me just share you with this, this story. So turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 4, beginning in, in, in verse 1. We read this. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, it is again, it is written, you shall not put your Lord, your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Now, let me just, let me just tell you, this story right here is way too detailed and way too specific to be an allegory. I mean, Jesus could have, could have been taken to the wilderness and been tempted to sin. I mean, because, I mean, seriously, if you don't eat for 40 days, all right, you're going to be very hungry, and it, he would have definitely been tempted to turn something into food so that he could eat, all right? He, he could have just said he was tempted by his own desires, but that's not how it's recorded, okay? It was a very detailed interaction and a very detailed conversation that Jesus clearly you know, identifies his tempter by name, and that is Satan. And this story is recorded not just in Matthew, it's recorded in, in Luke and in, in John as well. And, 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 and here's the thing that, you, that I, want, I want you to, to kind of process. I don't care what anybody has to say about the Bible at this point, okay? Because Jesus is the ultimate authority, Jesus is actually the foundation of our faith because not only does the Bible claim that Jesus is God, the historical nature of the resurrection and the evidence that points to the resurrection validates his claim. In fact, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is historically the best attested to ancient event in all of recorded ancient history. Jesus rose from the dead proving that he, what he claimed to be, which is God in the flesh. Now you might say, well, wait a minute, there's no historical evidence for the resurrection. And again, I'm going to say to you, yes, there is. And I've got a couple of sermons I'm going to point you you to uh, that makes that case. And if you want to just write that request down on that card as well, I'll be happy to send you that link too. And so that you can actually get caught up because um, I'm happy to tell you the historical evidence does point to the resurrection of Jesus because, because the reality of Jesus is he is God in the flesh. And so if Jesus, you know, God in the flesh is convinced that, that, that Satan's real, then he's real. I mean, if Jesus is having a conversation with Satan and Jesus pronounced judgment on Satan, he said, you know, he talks about Satan as being a real being. Well, guess what? That is good enough for me because I don't care what you can appeal to as your authority. There is no greater or higher authority to appeal to than God himself. No one can appeal to a greater source than God himself. And so this myth of Satan's non-existence is simply just that. It's a myth. 
Okay? Satan is real. He is our enemy. He is after us. The gospel makes no sense without him. Now, another myth that I want to share with you is really the exact opposite of that. And, and, and to best illustrate this myth, um, let me just share with you a picture you see here. This is a very popular picture on Facebook right now. Okay, it's usually accompanied with, you know, like for Jesus, ignore for Satan. You know, you know I mean, it's just all kinds of stupid stuff like that. But, but, but in this picture, it's depicting this titanic battle. You know, Jesus and the devil, they're engaged in this cosmic arm wrestling match. And notice the devil is classically identified as red in color, grotesque in facial features with horns. And the background is the, the fires of hell, right? And then you have this fair-skinned Jesus, which I doubt that that's what he looked like, okay? Probably looked like a, a Middle Eastern man, but... But he has this fair-skinned Jesus. You know, he's arrayed in white, clean robes. And behind him is this beautiful, pristine landscape. And the, the sun rays are, like, softly, like, you know, making his skin glow. And, and, and this image conveys this idea, right, of this cosmic struggle of good versus evil. You know, Satan and Jesus going head-to-head for the competition of the world, which I guess is sort of true. Um, and then when you, when you look at this picture, you get this sense that all creation hangs in the balance. And again, that's also, you know, sort of true. It's kind of like, you know, you know an embellishment of the details. But, uh, but also in this picture, there's this myth. Okay, there's this myth that people believe. This, and the myth that people believe is this idea that the, that the devil and Jesus are evenly matched. Okay? That's what this picture represents. Right? That, 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 that there's this close competition that Jesus and Satan are actually equal. They're equal nemesises. You know, they're, 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 they're each other's arch nemesis and equal in power. That's the myth being portrayed here. And somehow, you know, people believe that Jesus and the devil are on some kind of equal footing. And this, you know, and this myth isn't just being promoted by the outside world. This is a myth that's being promoted inside the church. A lot of people, when they think about God and good and evil, they think that this kind of image is real, that somehow Satan is really, you know, Jesus, you know, opposite equal. There are people who believe that at some level that the enemy has the potential to win against Jesus because they're somehow equally matched, but that's not even close to the truth because there's this huge fundamental difference between Satan and and Christ. In fact, let's just look what the Bible says about this subject. Ezekiel chapter 28, beginning verse 12. This is the section where we really get a lot of information about the source uh, and, and the beginning and the fall of the enemy. It says in verse 12, you were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, sardis, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, emerald, carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day you were created, you they were prepared. You were anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. Uh, you were on the holy mountain of God in the midst of of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until righteousness, unrighteousness was found in you. Now, this text again, as I said, is the origin and the fall of Satan. And notice what it says twice in here in the text. In verse 13, it says, on the day that you were created, you were, they were prepared. And then in verse 15, it says, you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. Here's a point. The devil's an angel. He's a created 
being. He's not an eternal being. Okay? He is a created being. He didn't exist into eternity past. He had to be brought into existence. He had to be created. Now, let's, let's take a look at the text about Jesus. It says in the book of John, chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, we know from the context of this passage that, that Jesus was the Word of God, because in, 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 chap, in verse 14 it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the Word of God. And what it says is that the Word was with God, and the Word himself was God. So Jesus is God. Then look what it says. It says, uh, He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now think about this. All things, all-inclusive things were made through Christ, which means Jesus is the creator of everything. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth and everything that's in them, including all the angels, which is exactly what Paul is saying in Colossians 1.16, where he wrote... For by him all things were created in heaven, on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. So you see the problem here. Satan cannot possibly be Jesus' equal because Jesus is God, the creator. He is infinite, he is omnipotent, and he is all-knowing. Satan, by contrast, is part of creation. He is finite, he is powerful but limited in power, he is wise but not all-knowing. Satan is not even close to being an equal match for Jesus. The fact is, the truth is, Satan right now is at war fighting to destroy you because he cannot destroy God. He is waging his war against God's creation because he cannot fight and harm God himself. So he tries to destroy God's creation. He tries to destroy what God loves, which is his people. But here's the ultimate truth. Satan has already been defeated. He has already lost. When Jesus died on the cross for the sins of mankind and conquered death and rose again three days later, the war was over. Satan is defeated. His fate is already sealed. Okay. And, and, what he, and all he can do now, all that's left for him to do is to do what kamikaze pilots did in World War II, which is to do as much damage as possible in a suicidal losing effort because the enemy has no hope of winning and he knows it. He is bent on destroying as much of creation as he can. He's going to destroy as many lives as he can. He's going to destroy as many souls as he can. And the reason for that is there is absolutely no hope for him. There's no redemption for him. There's the difference between him and us. You see, for you, there is hope. For you, there's redemption. Jesus came and died on the cross to pay your debt. He rose again, proving that he has the power to forgive you. And all you have to do is put your hope and trust in Christ and you were saved and you are redeemed and you were spared the coming wrath of God. You were spared eternal punishment in hell. That if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will in fact, without a doubt, be saved. You have hope. Satan has none. 
And so in a fit of jealous rage and in complete rebellion against God, Satan is going to fight a scorched earth battle to destroy as much of creation as he can. And he's going to take as many people to hell with him as he can. And make no mistake about it, he is not the boss of hell. He is not the warden of hell. He is a prisoner just like all who reject Christ. And he will be punished and tormented forever and ever and ever along with everyone who rejects Jesus. And that's why he goes after Christians, right? In fact, someone said to me one time, man, you know, gosh, I didn't have so many spiritual battles in my life to make him a Christian. I thought my life was supposed to get easier after I became a Christian, right? Well, the reason for that is simple. If you don't trust Christ, then the enemy doesn't have to worry about you. Because unless you put your faith in Christ, you're going to go to hell right along with Satan. He doesn't have to destroy you. You were already destroyed. You're condemned and doomed to your fate. But if you're a Christian, then you are a real threat because as a follower of Christ, you have the potential to share Jesus with other people so they can be saved too. Right? That's why he creates so much trouble for me and for my wife around VBS time. That's why, you guess what day of the week that, that Kim and I are most likely to have conflict? Saturday night, okay? I'm just telling you, you guess my wife, it's exactly how it is. Saturday night, if there's gonna be conflict during the week, it's usually then, all right? When I'm trying to get some sleep and be prepared to do battle with the enemy from the pulpit on Sunday. That's why, right, every time the church takes a step forward, the enemy's there to try to have some kind of spiritual attack because we're storming the gates of hell in, in an effort to set people free. And the devil is desperately trying to stop us. That's why when, when Jesus was born, Satan enticed Herod to have all the children killed in Bethlehem, trying to prevent Christ from coming. He's trying so desperately to stop the work of Jesus and the church from saving more souls. You see, the enemy is is definitely real. And the, the wounds that he can inflict on us are still very real. But he's not all powerful. And he is no match for the risen King Jesus Christ. He is simply a defeated enemy, desperately trying to create as much destruction and pain as he can on his way out. And the goal of this series in the coming weeks is to teach you how to stand your ground and to win decisively all of the battles against your enemy. And um, now that we've kick-started this discussion, you know, what can we do with a few things that we've learned here? Well, there's three things that you can do with what we've learned so far. The first one is, if you're someone who isn't already taken the step to put your faith and hope in Jesus Christ and go from the casualty column to becoming you know, part of the victory column, then today's a great day to place your trust in Jesus, you know, the one who can actually save you from your enemy. And uh, if you haven't done that, then come and see me afterwards. I'll be happy to talk to you and, and teach you how that you can actually do that. The second thing that you can do if you believe in Christ is rejoice. Because if you are in Christ, you're a Christ follower, you've placed your faith in Jesus, then guess what? You won. You won. Okay? The war is won. And it doesn't matter what the devil does to you in this life. It doesn't matter how hard he makes things for you right now. It doesn't matter what kind of harm he inflicts upon you. Okay? It doesn't matter what happens. The greatest problem that you will ever face in your entire life is already taken care of. And if there are people that you love that are saved, then rejoice for them too. Because you're going to be with them forever and ever and ever where there's no more tears and no more pain and no more fighting and no more battles and no more enemy. 
Rejoice in your salvation. And then the third thing is to understand that as a follower of Christ, you're a part of a massive invasion force taking the fight to the enemy. We're not victims here. We're not sitting back fighting a defensive battle. We are the advancing army going out into the world, taking ground. And our mission is to rescue more people from the enemy's destructive plan. Your mission is to help people to see the hope that is in Christ Jesus and help them to put their trust in the one who can heal them and who can deliver them from this spiritual war. So trust in Christ and get on the winning side of the battle. Rejoice in your salvation and then get into the fight to rescue other people. That's how you do with what you've learned here today. So let me pray for you. Father, we just, we just thank you for victory right now. Sometimes I just forget to think about that. I, think I forget to meditate on that. I forget to realize that you have already done it. It's already taken care of. When Jesus said it was finished, it was finished. And everything else that I'm striving over and worrying about is really just incidental. Lord, help us to walk in that today. Help us to walk in that victory today, being hopeful, being confident. Yes, there are things that are going to make us sorry, but we ultimately have won. The enemy is defeated. Nothing he can do can permanently hurt me. He might be able to hurt my body. He might be able to hurt people that I know, but he can't take away my salvation. Your word declares that if I put my trust in you, then I am safely at home in your hands. And so I can rejoice in that. But more importantly, Lord, help me to take seriously the fact that there's this enemy hunting people that I love, hunting people that I care about. Help me to be a light that ministers to them. Help me to be a light that cares about them. Help me to be someone who goes out and, 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 and shares the hope of Jesus with them. Help me to encourage other believers and help me to reach people who don't believe so that they can actually rejoice in you too and be victors in this battle as well. And I pray, Father, that as we continue on in this series, you would help to educate our hearts and you would help to educate our minds that we'd be ready and willing and able to to do battle with the enemy and that we would be prepared to walk in that victory that you've given to us. We love you, we thank you, and we praise you. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. And please consider partnering with us financially as we share the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ with our community and with the world.